Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Are you enjoying the Single Tracks podcast? Well, we could use your support. The small but dedicated Single Tracks team works hard to share the mountain bike information that inspires epic adventures. Through this podcast, our worldwide database of trail maps and photos, and daily news and reviews on the website. So consider becoming a monthly, annual, or lifetime pro supporter and enjoy ad-free browsing on the website, free single track stickers in the mail, and discounts on merch for as little as $3 per month. Go to singletracks.com support to sign up and to find out other ways you can help support our mission. That's singletracks.com support. Thank you and happy trails. Hey everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. My name is Jeff, and today my guest is Gary Moore. Gary is the executive director of the Colorado Mountain Bike Association, also known as COMBA. The group is dedicated to the interests of the front range mountain biking community in and around Denver. Thanks for joining us, Gary. Thanks, Jeff. Glad to be here. So tell us a bit about the Colorado Mountain Bike Association. What's the organization's mission and how large is your membership? Well, we are currently around 1,700, 1,800 members. We uh, have a goal of reaching 2,000 and being the first single city IMBA chapter to get to that level. Oh, wow. Uh, we've, we've had a lot of successes here lately, but you know, the, the big challenge here for Comba is just the area that we try to cover as a mm. single chapter. We're, we're responsible for Denver and it's 2.6 million residents, mm. which is about half the state's population. Um, wow. So we oversee, uh, oversee may be overstated. We, we get involved in and try to help steward and manage four to 500 miles of trails here in the area. Wow. You know, overall, our mission is pretty simple. We we sum it up as more trails and better trails. Okay. You know, we're looking for those opportunities to, you know, really help people enjoy the outdoors the way that they want to and where they want to as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so that comes down largely to just kind of updating the systems. You know, so many of the trails in this area are legacy trails that were, you know, game trails or wagon roads or Mm -hmm. things that did not start out master planned or designed for any natural surface use, really, especially bikes. Mm -hmm. And with the the population, you know, Colorado, Denver, especially Front Range, we have a really high percentage of people that want to be outdoors and recreate in the outdoors. That's why a lot of us live here, right? Mm -hmm. So we're trying to do what we can to make that a sustainable and manageable recreational opportunity to get out on bikes on on single track in the area. So much of it is focused on trails operations, our projects, maintaining and building and and that sort of thing. Um, We do as much as we can in the way of supporting the community when it comes to helping women, uh, beginners, uh, the BIPOC community, those kinds of things. People that aren't traditionally the the main bulk of mountain bikers. Our, our women's program is growing in leaps and bounds. We have a great leader there that's a volunteer. Uh, Britt Foreman is our leader for that program. The last couple of years, we've actually been able to get some more funding for that and expand that into some Spanish-speaking clinics, you know, entirely held in Spanish. And, and those kinds of opportunities to really just try to reach out to as much as the community as possible and, and see that everybody has a chance to have a good time out doing what we love to do. Yeah, that's cool. Well, so you said that Comba sort of covers the Denver area. What are, what are like the bounds of that? I mean, I assume we're talking the metro area. So there's suburbs and things like that. And there are other clubs um, that you guys maybe kind of run up against uh to the south and the north so what what do you consider like sort of the geographic bounds for for where you're doing your work and advocacy 
Yeah, there's, you know, we have great partners in Boulder and Colorado Springs, uh, which are to our north and south. Really, you know, Denver itself doesn't have much of the in the way of trails in town. That's something mm-hmm. that we'd like to see more of and something we've worked with Denver Parks and Rec recently in the last year on trying to find more opportunities to bring the trails to the people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's something that I learned after moving here that so many people live in the Denver metro area, grow up here, that really never make it to the mountains. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's not always the easiest thing for them to accomplish. So we're looking at ways to bring bike parks and other you know, soft surface, natural surface trails into the city itself. But Mm. by and large, the majority of the trails exist in the foothills along the front range west of Denver. Uh, I live in the Morrison area, which is very West Denver. It's it's as West as I could be and not be up Mm -hmm. in the mountains. Yeah. Gives us great access to that. We're fortunate in that in that way. But so we kind of reach, you know, there's some overlap with Boulder up around Gilpin County out around Blackhawk and a project that we'll talk some more about here in a minute, and then reaching down towards Colorado Springs. And then we say kind of roughly out to the Continental Divide oh, okay. for those in the area that, that are familiar. Kenosha, Gwinnella is about as far west as we really get involved, but hmm. it's a it's a pretty substantial geographic area. Yeah, for sure. That's interesting that you, you mentioned, you know, a lot of folks who grow up in Denver, maybe they have never been to the mountains or they don't go out that often. And yeah, I mean, a lot of us probably don't realize too, like if you live just on the east side of Denver, like in one of the suburbs there to do an after work ride, I mean, you're driving what, at least 30 minutes in traffic more? Oh, probably 45. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just to get over to the foothills and right. and then, you know, the, the trail systems are another 15, 30, 45 minutes for there, potentially depending on where you want to go. So yeah, it's it gets tough to do that as an after work ride. Yeah, yeah. So definitely can imagine there's a lot of interest in in having trails that are closer to the city there. Yeah, and there's and there's some opportunities springing up, you know, around Cherry Creek, Highlands Ranch, uh, up in Adams County, Arvada. There's there's some things that are coming along that are going to bring you know smaller systems to be sure, and some of those are just maybe a pump track or a skills area or something like that, that we can add to a, an existing park. Um, but every bit helps. Yeah, for sure. So when and why did Comba get its start? Comba started, you know, essentially in 1991, we had the first local mountain bikers that worked for Lockheed Martin on the South side of Denver, and they had been enjoying mountain bikes and, and on whatever trails were available at the time particularly around the Deer Creek area. And, you know, they found that they saw that the trails were needing some love and that they could use some enhancements and and some things that maybe were a little more bike specific. And they really just, it was probably six or seven guys that, that really started volunteering and getting involved with that local land manager. Hmm. So it kind of sprang from there. You know, we have okay. a pretty similar story to most groups, I would suspect that, once you start getting involved in having these conversations and relationships with land managers, you start figuring out what some of the other hurdles are to tackle. And there are always projects, both for creating new trails or keeping access to existing trails that come up mm-hmm. as uh, as we go along. And, you know, at, at some point it became necessary to to really organize, become a nonprofit, um, mm-hmm. become a 501c3 and start becoming more, I guess, organized in our efforts. Picked up the, I guess we picked up the moniker of Comba in the late 90s, got our 501c3 around 2005, somewhere in there. Okay. And just continued to to grow organically until until they hired me, really, in, in 2016. I was our first full-time staff member. And, and gave us a chance to really sink our teeth into this on a full-time basis. Yeah. I mean, forming in the 90s, is I'm actually surprised. That seems kind of late for a city the size of Denver um, and just kind of given a lot of the other groups around the country. Do you think was part of that? I mean, for a lot of groups, their origin story involves like 
you know, trail access issues where, you know, people have been riding and all of a sudden somebody said they can't ride there anymore. Has that, has riding been more acceptable, you think, in Colorado? Like, was that, was that never the issue? And, and so that's why it took longer? Oh, no. no we still have our struggles. Uh, you know, <laughs> our friends up in Boulder are still very much experiencing right. those kind of challenges. Yeah. Um, you know, it's amazingly tough to get access to trails up there. You know, the Denver area is, is fortunate in a number of ways, but we have some land managers that are very much, you know, up to speed with the times, I guess, in, in many ways in terms of understanding what the community is is after. Uh, I think that there's still a lot of hurdles there to to get over and, and figure out exactly how we provide for and create these experiences in metropolitan areas specifically. Mm-hmm. But you know, to answer your other question, Denver, Denver really only started to explode about 10 or 15 years ago. So, you know, 1991, this was a very different scene here. And <laughs> what we've heard is, you know, Colorado Springs has Medicine Wheel as their image chapter. They started in 91. Boulder Mountain Bike Alliance, I think, also started around 91. And uh, Fort Collins was similar. So clearly there was a, a watershed moment there in the early 90s when the Front Range mm. began to really adopt mountain biking and start to, you know, take on some of those paint, those pinch points for land managers and in, in accommodating this new user group. Yeah. Well, so you mentioned that you uh, came on board at Comba in 2016. What were you doing before that? Well, you know, I got started riding bikes off-road in the 70s growing up in in SoCal, you know, riding 27-inch 10-speeds with BMX handlebars, and (laughs) we rode mostly in the canyons. Uh, We did a little bit of, you know, build a berm here or jump there kind of a thing, but mostly we just rode the old moto trails and spent a lot of time walking broken bikes home at the end of the day because they just, (laughs) they were not built for that kind of riding, that's for sure. Yeah. You know, my wife and I got involved with volunteering for Sorba Woodstock outside of Atlanta uh, in 2010. I really fell in love with that whole effort of trail building, Mm. of the art and science of creating these natural surface trails to provide a certain experience for people. And it's just fascinating to me. I mean, you walk into the woods on a new trails project and you look around and you've got this this empty canvas and so much to accomplish. And it, it can be really daunting to figure out where you want to go and how you want to make that happen. And, mm-hmm. and so I really just fell in love with that and, and was doing so much volunteering in my free time there with Sorba that it started to be something that I felt like I really wanted to pursue uh, as a career. Yeah. I'd been working as an IT professional for about 12 years. It was my, my second career. <laughs> And getting out and getting away from the computer, spending time in the woods, building trails, creating these experiences, and really just being overwhelmed by the soul food that comes along with that. Mm. The the opportunity to create these these experiences in the woods for people and just see the joy that that brings them and, and that you know is going to be there for a long time. Yeah. I mean, most of these trails, you know, bridges and these things, they're, they're going to be around for, for generations. Mm-hmm. And that really hooked me. It was something that I, I felt like that at this stage of my life was something that I wanted to, to be more involved in my community. I wanted to have a bigger impact on the way that people were recreating and finding their time in the woods um, and, and having that be a good experience for, for everybody. So I got a chance to take an executive director role there in Woodstock with another nonprofit that was working on uh, concrete trails, as mm-hmm. I call them, because <laughs> people don't use the word path enough. Um, but, you know, the 10 foot wide stuff that is so awesome to have in a community to get you out of your cars and and off the roads. Mm-hmm. That was a great experience there for a year and a half with Green Prince Alliance. But the opportunity came up here to uh, to come be the executive director for Comba and the chance to work for a nonprofit, pursue mountain biking, you know, on a daily basis. This is what I do every day is talk about bikes and trails. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm in, you know, bring bring me. I'm, I'm ready to come out here. Uh, our kids had gotten to a point where they were graduating high school and college and getting ready to, to leave the nest. And this was the perfect next chapter for us. So yeah. we're super stoked to be here. Um, it's been about six years now that we've been in Colorado 
And uh, it was a huge learning curve. You know, the the effort out here for pursuing trails is very, very different than it was in Georgia. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true, you know, across the country that the the nature of public lands, the nature of the trail experiences is so different within each region. So mm-hmm. it's been a wild ride, but I really enjoyed, you know, being able to be here in Pilot Comba and, and grow this organization to the level that it needs to be to take on the challenges that we're faced with. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And, and you get to do it in Colorado of all places. I mean, that's, yeah, you're living the dream. Yeah. So, so, um, a lot of folks maybe are familiar, you know, we wrote some stories, uh, toward the beginning of the pandemic about just how overcrowded a lot of trails uh, were becoming when things were locked down and, and especially along the front range, it seemed like that was, that was a major issue. So, I'm curious, you know, we're two, three years into this, this whole pandemic or post pandemic period. How has that, has that changed for one thing? You know, are we still seeing those levels of participation? And two, like what, how does that affect your job and, and what you're trying to do in terms of the mission? Well, we were already overcrowded before the uh, the pandemic hit um so when we saw the spike it really blew the lid off of things we you know we worked very closely with a local state park called Staunton State Park and last year year before first year of the pandemic i guess we saw a spike in activity out there that was not expected to be seen until 2030 oh geez so it was this exponential growth that that just propelled us 10 years into the future hmm. Some of that has, you know, receded a bit. We're not quite, you know, a lot of those people that used to do something else and then had to go find outdoor rec have have probably gone back to doing what they could do. Yeah. Back to watching the Rockies and the Broncos. Yeah, right. You know, going to gyms, whatever whatever they were doing yeah. before they were all of a sudden out on the trails. But it was a really interesting time. I mean, it was palpable. You could you could ride around and see people on bikes that clearly hadn't left the garage in mm. ten years. Yeah. Um, no helmets, you know, Bluetooth speakers strapped to handlebars, <laughs> flip flops. It, it was the whole yeah. thing. So, you know, it, it's definitely an interesting challenge. It gave us a little peek at what is coming. You know, we know that the front range population is continuing to grow, especially around Douglas County, a little bit to our south. And it's something that, you know, the land managers definitely need to respond to and and are trying to figure out how to manage. Mm -hmm. And and we're trying to be part of that conversation. In, In Colorado, we really have to also keep a very close eye on, you know, what it is that brought us all here in the first place. You know, the public lands are amazing. The the flora and fauna, the diversity of the ecosystems, the the rich habitats that we have that allow you to go for a bike ride or a, a trail run and, and run into a moose or, <laughs> you know, uh, maybe see a bear or a mountain lion if you're lucky or unlucky, depending on your, your bent. <laughs> you know, that we don't want to spoil that. And that was one of the first lessons for me was understanding that that was such a big part of the conversation here. Uh, We have so many people that have a vested interest in Colorado's public lands Mm -hmm. from preservationists that don't want to see any new human impacts anywhere in the state, which is a tall order, to those that want to conserve what we have, a sportsman's group that want to enjoy it responsibly, Growing, you know, outdoor rack is just growing in leaps and bounds. So how do we manage all that? You know, how do we, we know there's a limited amount of space out there. We don't want to ruin it, but we want to enjoy it and we want to enjoy it in, in our personal preference. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, one of the things that we've done here at Comba is that we've been piloting, driving really an effort called Outside 285, which is a, a landscape level planning effort um, that was originally kind of came out of a request from the Forest Service, one of our local ranger districts, was just overwhelmed with all of the the recreational group voices that were coming to them and saying, Mm. you know, we need more room for horse trailers or we need more bike-specific experiences Mm -hmm. or we need, you know, hiker-only trails that, you know, don't have all this other activity, including bikers. (laughs) And, And so they asked us to kind of take the lead on, you know, bringing all those voices together and just presenting them with a five or 10 year plan to, to have a sense of 
how do they go about doing this without having a meeting every other day with a new interest group? <laughs> right. So we, we pulled this together and we expanded that to include land managers, wildlife managers, preservationists, conservationists, sportsmen, all the, all the ologists. <laughs> it wound up being a pretty good size effort that we had to go out and get a grant for last year. And really just take a look at this one section of town along Highway 285, southwest of Denver. And just look, there's a finite resource here. And let's start with what's the valuable habitat? Where are the migration areas? What are the parts that are least impacted by humans now? Mm -hmm. And let's really just secure that. Let's all agree across the table. We're going to leave this as intact and protect this as much as we can. Mm. And then took a look at where have we already seen significant human impacts mm -hmm. and what can we do there to improve the recreational amenities, okay. improve trailheads, add additional trails, you know, add new management techniques like, you know, designated use and directional trails and those kinds of things. And it gave us all the opportunity to just come to, uh, it's a non-binding agreement. It's a gentleman's agreement, if you will, but it's still a plan. It's still, we can look at maps. We can look at lists of projects. We did tier one that are ready to go now. Tier two need a little more sussing out. Tier three that really need more conversation. And, and we came up with a pretty good plan going forward that gives us an opportunity to figure out how to do what we need to do here responsibly, you know, create those recreational opportunities while not spoiling the lands. Hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like you're, you're constantly balancing different competing priorities and, and managing relationships with different user groups. What are some of the like misconceptions that folks outside of advocacy have about groups like Comba and other advocacy groups? Uh, you know, I think I would break that into two groups. You have the the people that are outside of mountain biking, the other advocates, the land managers, the other people I described with the O two eighty five project. Their unfortunately, their conception of or, or perception of mountain bikers is is a just a unquenchable thirst we want <laughs> new trails everywhere yeah. all the time right yeah and so that's a lot of what we've been working on with projects like o285 is showing them that we are also conservationists we also mm -hmm. would like to see the land preserved we'd also like to see people recreating responsibly mm. and that we're here to be part of that solution as well yeah Inside the mountain bike community is a different story. They, you know, what we hear a lot um, from all of my fellow advocates that I that I work closely with, most of the mountain bike community just thinks that we have way more control over these projects than we really do. Mm. You know, I say a lot that we get too much blame and we get too much credit for nearly every project. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and, and we're part of that too, right? I mean, we we will crow and and say, look at this amazing new thing that we brought to bear when because we need to, to, mm -hmm. to keep that support and to keep, you know, people feeling like we're accomplishing for them, which is what we're here to do. But we also need to really help people understand that we don't own any land, right? We're always dealing with a land manager that has their own set of priorities and responsibilities and goals and missions and mm -hmm. everything that we can do to be a part of that process and to try to get the outcomes that we're after is, is what we're here to do. You know, we, we have created Comba in a way that we can plug in and be able to assist a, a municipal land manager, a county land manager, state, federal, whomever it is, with the full life cycle of trails from concept and design and planning, fundraising, construction, to maintenance and continued optimization of those trails mm -hmm. just depends on on what expertise they have or what expertise they don't have. And we're, you know, we're greasing the skids, we're nudging things this way and that way. We're having, you know, the the impacts that we can have, but trying to explain to the community, especially in a social media driven world, mm -hmm. the nuance of every one of these projects just isn't tenable. It, it's not going to happen. And so we do tend to sort of paint in these broad strokes of 
this was a Comba project or this wasn't a Comba project. And I think that's that level of black and white works for us. Sometimes it works against us sometimes. Yeah. But the important part, the, the, the takeaway that I would like people to have is just to understand that we are constantly at it. We are constantly working on these relationships. We are constantly trying to move projects forward. We're constantly trying to improve the trails that are here. Mm -hmm. It's not always obvious on the outside and the product at the end of the day, isn't necessarily what everybody hopes it would be, Mm -hmm. but that, you know, part of that comes back to the mountain bike community itself. We're so incredibly diverse from beginners to experts, you know, cruisers to shredders. It's hard to build a a trail for all of those experiences Mm -hmm. when we only have a couple of bites at that apple every year. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you make a good point that groups like Comba have become especially good at, like you said, greasing the skids and just making these projects as easy as possible for land managers to, to say yes to, and then to execute. I mean, like, 10 years ago, you know, clubs like Comba, I don't know if, do you guys have your own like trail building crew or do you contract with others? Okay. Yeah. So that didn't exist 10 years ago, right? Most clubs would have to, you know, they say, well, we don't know how to build trails either. We'll have volunteers do it, but now they're, they're able to provide those services in a professional way from design to construction to, to all those things. And that takes a lot of work. Yeah. I mean, we, we actually get hired as consultants now. That's one of the things that we've been able to change in the last few years. We don't give everything away anymore, which is a, a big part of how we're able to to accomplish everything that we are and to to tackle the size of the the again the geographical area alone, but just mm-hmm. the number of miles of trails and the number new of new trails projects. Um, you know, you can only sell so many T-shirts, and we only get so many members. Um, so we've, we've learned a lot about, you know, what grants are available, how to get that support from the community. And, and like I said, you know, there's places where it's perfectly reasonable for us to be, you know, the, the trail designer, the trail construction crew, the construction manager, we can help, you know, create RFPs. Mm -hmm. Any, any part of that process is something that we typically have way more experience in than, you know, say a, a local municipality that has never had a trail system, doesn't have a parks and rec department, doesn't have a mountain biker or a trail runner on staff. Um, and they're really coming at this with, without a lot to to go on. And one of one of my jobs is to go in there and and partner with them and convince them that what we don't know, we know the people that do and we can help you make this the best possible project that you're looking for, you know, each of these, especially a city, I mean, they only get so many chances to build a new trail right? and to mess that up is, is horrific. <laughs> you know, I mean, we getting that right out of the gate is a tough thing to do. I mean, even for those of us that have been doing this for a while and you can talk to trail builders that have been working in the industry for, for three or four decades and they'll tell you there's there's still stuff to learn. There there's still things to figure out how to do a better job of designing a trail, constructing a trail. Uh, we see those techniques change all the time. And expecting a local land manager or, you know, even the the Forest Service, which manages so many trails already, they don't necessarily have a lot of experience in planning and design and construction. Mm. And we see a lot of times that these groups go out and and hire the uh the low bid for their rfp and and the trouble begins usually right about that point <laughs> right right well let's talk a little bit about some of the trails that comba helps support what are some of the more popular ones and and are those the ones where you tend to also end up spending a lot of time doing maintenance yeah i guess we could spend some time defining popular as that the <laughs> ones that you want to ride or the ones that get ridden yeah yeah two definitions <laughs> the ones that are closest to population areas, residential areas, uh, they get ridden the most and, and therefore people, you know, get very attached to them and have a lot of opinions about them. Mm-hmm. Jeffco open space is really our largest land manager here, right up next to where everybody lives. You know, they're kind of the gateway of the Rockies there in Golden. And they have some of the biggest challenges in that their trails have been around the longest. They see 
easily the most use. Mm -hmm. They'll tell you that their 240 miles of trails see something like 7 million visitors a year. Wow. Um, and that's all almost entirely on bi-directional multi-use trails. Mm. Wow. So a lot of user conflicts, a lot of people out there with, with differing ideas about how to recreate on those same trails. Yeah. So in that definition of popular, they get, they certainly get the, the most use. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we're seeing and, and what I hope will be true if it is not already is the newer trail systems that we've been able to bring online in the last few years. Uh, since 2019, we've opened the, the Floyd Hill open space trail system. Mm-hmm. Right. We started two years ago with Maryland Mountain and Blackhawk. And each of those two systems brought the first ever, and this is really hard to believe and say out loud, but the first ever purpose-built bike-specific, bike-only downhill directional trails in the area that are on public lands and were conceived, designed, and built for that purpose. Hmm. We now have three. (laughs) Three. uh, uh, uh. We've been fortunate that that Jeffco Open Space has redesignated a couple of their trail segments to be bike-only and directional. One of those is a a super popular trail near Golden that um, they actually do an alternating use thing on that one. Mm-hmm. We just came up with that agreement with them about two years ago. Mm-hmm. That's been amazing to be able to separate the users in such a highly, you know, densely populated and high use area. Yeah. But, you know, these new trail systems are 15, 20 minutes off the front range. Uh, they tend to be higher in elevation. So they're five, 10, 15 degrees cooler. There's fewer people there because you, for the most part, have to drive to get to them, which isn't always our favorite, but it's one of the things we deal with. Mm-hmm. But we've been able to to do the, the modern management there. You have uh, kind of a dedicated climbing trail that you share with hikers and trail runners. And then bikes have specific routes down that are just specifically for them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, for most mountain bikers, that's that's why we're making these 45-minute climbs, right, is to get to where you can turn and point that thing downhill. <laughs> and the last thing you want to do is stop 15 times on the descent for every other trail user that's out there, including other bikes, if they're coming uphill at you. Mm-hmm. So we've really put a big emphasis in the last few years on finding those opportunities to build the bike-only trails that are directional and let you really just enjoy what you're out there to do without worrying about, you know, having to stop or, or worse, running over somebody. You know, we see a lot of that with kids and, and dogs and those kinds of things that are out there on the trails. So mm-hmm. having a dedicated trails are great. I think people are really enjoying Floyd Hill, Maryland Mountain. Uh, we're building another system in Idaho Springs that will be similar. And, you know, we're, that's where we're finding the the most opportunity is just that one layer back further West off of the front range foothills, mm. you know, park County, clear Creek County, Gilpin County is where we're getting to create those brand new experiences that, that people really seem to be digging. Yeah. Are you pretty much tapped out on the front range itself? Like the, the Western slope there, sorry, Eastern, oh, Western, I don't know. Western slope. I think of that's grand junction. Yeah, Western Slope is Grand Junction on those those folks over there. Well, you know what I mean. The part where it's flat and then it starts going up. Yeah. That area. Yeah, yeah. Is there right outside my window. Yeah, like, you know, Apex and Falcon and Mount Falcon. I mean, those those areas have been there for a long time. They're the first ones people come to when they're they're driving toward the mountains. Are there opportunities to build more trail systems kind of in that zone, or is it pretty much built out at this point? You know, I, I, it's a it's a bit of a charged question, but I think for the most part, we have what we're going to have here right along the foothills. Mm-hmm. That comes down to land manager preferences and priorities. Mm-hmm. Currently, with Jeffco Open Space, they they are managing to a trail density per mile kind of a metric, and they largely feel like they're there. Okay. Colorado Parks and Wildlife is the other sort of overlaying, you know, wildlife and tra- and land management in Colorado. And they're also very concerned about the current interface between the front range population and our public lands. So, you know, I think that we're 
for the near future, looking at incremental progress, like mm-hmm. you know we talked about a minute ago with redesignating some trails, perhaps adding some additional trails that parallel each other and setting aside designated use on each of those is something that we promote and advocate for quite a bit. Um, trying to find ways to make it so that we still keep that balance that we're looking for with conservation and recreation, but that we don't make it so that every good trail experience is something you have to drive to. We like the, I like the idea of being able to just ride out of my house. You know, I live next to Bear Creek Lake Park, not the, uh, the most entertaining trails in the world, but it's certainly better than being on concrete or a road or something like that. And, yeah. and, you know, I'm, I'm five or 10 minutes bike ride to get over there and, and it's definitely worth it on, mm-hmm. on many days. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's a tough one. It's a tough nut to crack. Um, I think that we are having the best conversations we could have with the land managers around that problem. And like we said earlier, finding ways to bring those trails closer to where people are. But the reality is that the majority of, of what we're going to get in the way of new experiences and new capacity is going to be a little further off the front range. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Well, so how do you ultimately decide sort of which trail projects to pursue? How do you decide? I mean, obviously, Comba has limited resources, I mean, especially your time as the executive director. So how do you how do you decide which ones to pursue? Is it the easy ones? Is it the more strategic ones? Like what's what's kind of the metric you use? Well, ultimately, we we try to pursue them all. You know, I have a, a wonderful trail director, uh, Gil McCormick, that has lived in this area forever. It is absolutely indefatigable when it comes to pursuing every trail opportunity anywhere within our area and some beyond our area. Um, so we have a, a pretty good sized spreadsheet that is our wish list or our project list or things that we're either actively working on or that we hope to get a chance to sink our teeth into at some point. Mm-hmm. Really, the, our approach is we like to look at the entire area and we sort of have a, an inventory of those trails and those trail experiences. And one of the, we look at where those holes are. You know, the, the vast majority of trails really, as they should, are right down the middle. They, they suit the most people. Um, it's that intermediate, give or take level experience and, mm-hmm. and, we don't have the terrain and we haven't historically had a lot of green level trails for beginners. That's a challenge. Yeah. Uh, we, before the pandemic, we had a pretty robust beginner program every summer where we try to help people get out on bikes and, and, you know, just figure out how to do that more enjoyably and confidently. Mm-hmm. And there's very few places that we can take true beginners around here. And so that's always something that we're keeping an eye out for. Can we bake that into a trail plan? And then the other end of the spectrum is the, you know, the black double black, the advanced and expert level riders that we mm-hmm. also very rarely get the opportunity to go build a trail that suits that experience. Mm-hmm. And, and there's some, some fairly obvious, I think, factors that lead into that. When a, when a municipality decides they're going to put together a trail system and create some outdoor recreation economy for themselves, they want to bring as many people as possible, right? Right. They want that trail that's going to meet 80% of the riders needs and encourage those people to come and, and shop and stay and, and enjoy what their town has to offer. Mm -hmm. So finding the opportunity to hit that bottom, you know, 10, 20% or that top 10, 20% is tough. And, and particularly the upper end of the scale, because, it tends to be really hard to create that experience in a sustainable and a maintainable way. Right. And that also becomes a tougher sell for land managers. And, and there's a, it's funny, but there's, there's sort of this perception that those trails bring a higher level of liability risk for them. Hmm. And I think most mountain bikers will tell you that a majority of our accidents tend to be JRA, right? <laughs> Just riding along. Right, right. Um, I know my my worst one was on a trail I knew exceedingly well and and just probably didn't have my mind on it that day. Mm, so yeah. we, we do try to educate the land managers about those levels of risk and, and the desire to have these different experiences. Ultimately, you know, it, it comes down to 
like I said, we're pursuing everything all the time with as much time as we have in a day. Mm -hmm. But what can we actually get approvals for? What can we find the funding for? And that's what gets built next. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. You mentioned earlier that uh, Jeffco sees, what, 7 million visitors to their trails every year, yeah, which is annually. an incredible, incredible number. Is that, do you have any sense about how many of those folks are local sort of to the Denver area versus folks who travel in? I know when I lived in Colorado Springs for several years, I mean, it was obvious in the summer that there's just more traffic. There's more people visiting from out of state, uh, out of town. Is that a challenge when some of your users, uh, trail users, are coming in from other areas and are not necessarily folks there who can be involved in supporting the club and, and helping maintain trails and that sort of thing? Yeah, for sure. There, there's definitely some challenges there. I don't know that Jeffco knows what percentage of those trail users are residents versus out of town. My guess is they probably have some sense. Um, and obviously that's going to be a, a bigger impact to natural surface trails in the summer. Like you mentioned, I was, I was driving around trying to get some things done yesterday and I swear I didn't think anybody had a Colorado plate on their car, <laughs> you know, and, and we see a, a variety of challenges there with that, with people coming in from, from out of town and Colorado is a rugged place compared to most trail systems and, and most public lands and our air is thin. You know, people, <laughs> right. people come up here and they're like, oh, I love mountain biking. And, and, uh, you know, Colorado sounds like an amazing place to do that. And they're not wrong. But, you know, we learned firsthand moving here from Georgia that the, you know, the trails are steeper, they're rockier, they're more technical, and they tend to be, you do all your climbing and then you do all your descending. Right. <laughs> A, a 45 minute to an hour climb that covers a thousand fifteen hundred feet straight out of the parking lot it's kind of the norm yeah. you know that's yeah. <laughs> and and it's not going to be smooth and it's not going to be at a grade that you would prefer it's a challenge and even here in the in the front range you know the foothills start at around six thousand feet and and easily go over seven thousand. Mm -hmm. uh, our trail systems, like I said, that we've been building the last couple of years, Floyd Hill is starts at seven and goes up over eight. Wow. Maryland mountain starts at eight and goes over nine. Mm -hmm. um, it's not hard. Our, our North Elk Creek system starts at nine and goes over 10. <laughs> um, so it's, it's a very different experience than most people are prepared for. Um, our weather can change very quickly here and, and, and fairly brutally. Yeah. People are not used to in the middle of a summer day, having 50 degree rain and hail falling on you with lightning everywhere. So, yeah. you know, not to mention the wildlife concerns and, and what that brings in terms of our rattlesnakes and, and other uh, large game that are out here. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's just a lot to be prepared for. And I think that that's something that we don't necessarily have the right voice, the right channels to communicate with those groups, mm -hmm. but we do have to plan for them to be out there and we do have to deal with that and plan for that additional capacity, which is probably more than a lot of local organizations are having to deal with because they're, they're just not in a place that sees the kind of ecotourism that we do here in Colorado. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to ask a question about uh, illegal trails and sort of unauthorized trails that, that maybe people are building or um, get created socially in different spots around Colorado. I mean, and everywhere else as well. Is that much of an issue for you? Does, does Comba like get the blame for that? And you guys are always like trying to, trying to do PR when something like that comes up or, or is that, um, I don't know. Or is that not an issue for Comba? Uh, I think it's an issue everywhere. There are, are always going to be people that go out and try to create either their own access or their own experiences. You know, some of the unauthorized trails are just things that spring up behind neighborhoods and others are full blown constructed trails. People going out and just digging their own and creating their own experience. And I have some empathy for that. Right. I mean, we we all want to have the experiences that we want to have mm -hmm. on our bikes. 
Um, it's one of the reasons that I'm in this position is that I also want to be able to create those experiences and, and add the type of writing that I'm interested in, in seeing as well as creating as much of the, a diverse, you know, amount of experiences for everybody as possible. You know, it, it happens because, you know, the land managers are not able to provide those experiences for a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. And we get that, but it doesn't, it doesn't excuse the, I'm just going to go do it myself mentality. And it definitely works against what we're trying to accomplish. We, and, you know, I actually, we were just having this conversation here with my counterparts in Colorado Springs and in Boulder. They're actually seeing even more of it than we are in this area. Uh, particularly, I think, because Boulder has such a hard time getting, you know, authorized trails. Yeah. Um, so people are like, you know, hey, I'm just going to go do it. If they make me tear it up or they tear it up themselves, so be it. I'll go figure out someplace else. Yeah. But it, it hurts our relationships with the land managers. You know, we, we have some land manager partners out there that have gone so far as to say, you know, we're not going to discuss anything new until you get, a, you know, a rogue trail building under control. That's tough too. I mean, you mentioned that you guys have 1700 members, you know, hoping for 2000, but I mean, realistically what there's, there's easily a hundred thousand people in the Denver metro area who ride mountain bikes. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's been my thumbnail too, is about a hundred thousand. Yeah. We don't know for sure, but I think that's a reasonable guess. Yeah. So you get, you get the blame and I mean, it's not, you know, you have little to no influence over the majority of those folks. I mean, I mean, maybe, maybe some, some sort of moral high ground where, you know, people are appreciative of the, the things that Comba does. But yeah, at the same time, yeah, that's, that's kind of out of, out of Comba's hands, right? There, there really is very little we can do. You know, we, we certainly try to pass along that message, but, you know, people that are that are building their own trails without authorization, they know that they're building their own trails without authorization. So they've already made that decision. And there's really not much that we're going to be able to say um, that's going to change that mindset. Yeah. Uh, you know what what I would encourage them to do. And and I think that we've had some luck in the last year or two, especially at reaching some of those people with our projects and showing them that you you might be surprised if you come and get involved with your local advocacy group at the impact you can have working within the system. We, we do get the opportunity to do these things less often than we would like, but they do come along. And, you know, it's a little bit of a, it's a little bit of a vicious cycle, right? You know, when, when you have, you know, my, estimation my guess is that the majority of people that are doing their own trail building are at the upper end of the rider scale they're building trails that are at the upper end of the technical skills needed uh end of the spectrum and they're doing that because they don't get the experiences that they're looking for through our projects Mm -hmm. but what I've been trying to communicate here of late is that one of the reasons that we don't have those experiences in our projects is that we don't have that part of our community there working alongside of us. Mm. We do a lot that is driven by volunteers. And, right. you know, the old the old adage of, you know, the decisions get made by the people holding the shovels <laughs> is true, you know. Um, I understand people are busy. Not everybody has a chance to get out and volunteer, but I think you'll find that you can get a lot more of what you're looking for by working with a group like ours, help us expand our knowledge in the way that we're looking at trails and trail projects by being involved with what we're doing, bring that passion. Obviously they've got time. They're out, they're out doing this all by themselves, you know, bring some of that energy and that passion and expertise to what we're trying to do and do it in a way that, you know, that's not going to get torn up by the land manager when it gets discovered. Uh, I can't say that we're going to be able to be everything to everybody, but uh, I do think that 
some folks at least would be surprised that they could have more of an impact on what we're doing and creating here by getting involved with us than than just going off and doing their own thing. Sound, yeah, sounds like a great approach. So quickly, I want to talk about another perhaps controversial topic, and that's e-bikes. Is is that a big thing in the front range and for Comba, e-bike trail access? Yeah. No, I mean, you know, e-bikes are still the third rail of, of mountain bike advocacy, right? It's it's the newest technology to come down the line, and, and we see this over and over with the mountain bike community. You know, we we argued about you know, suspension forks. We argued about disc brakes. We argued about 29ers. Mm-hmm. You know, it seems like everything that comes along is is kind of a threat to that culture of mountain biking, that experience of mountain biking that, you know, we get pretty passionate about. You know, mountain biking is is arduous in most cases. It's something that you have to work at to be good at and to really enjoy. And I understand the mindset of not wanting to see that made easier for for other people. Mm-hmm. At the same time, it's their experience; it's not yours, and and you should allow people to go and recreate the way they want to recreate. So, we're pretty fortunate here to get to answer your question more directly. All of our local land managers, and I, I think we have eight or nine different land managers that we are working with regularly in our area. That's one of our challenges. They all got on board with allowing e-mountain bikes on natural surface trails pretty early. I mean, within the last few years, Jeffco led the way with that. Yeah. seems like Colorado, too, was was one of the first to, I mean, just at minimum provide clarity on that, you know, whereas a lot of other places they were trying to decide, should we, shouldn't we? And it seems like a lot of the biggest studies, too, have happened. Like, I know Jeffco did a big one. Uh, on e-bikes and and so yeah now jeffco has been a leader on that and and they stepped up with a pilot program several years ago now and and i think it's been an official policy of theirs for the better part of two years now Mm. i've lost a little bit of track of that but you know the forest service remains the only one in our area that doesn't allow e-mountain bikes on their on their trails yet and the process they've got for working through that is overly complicated and, and creates more problems than it solves. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's kind of the current conversation there with, with the feds. But, you know, what we've seen here in our area, we, we survey our members and that's one of the questions that we ask of our members in our community is the current ideas and stance on, on e-mountain bikes, because we're here to represent them and, and we need to know what they think and how they feel about this. It's still very polarized out there, but we've seen a 15-point swing from very much opposed to in favor of e-mountain bikes on single track in the last three years, yeah. um, to the point that we have almost 50% that are in favor of them and another 20, 25 that are neutral. So there's only about 30% that are still in that, get your motorcycle off my trail. <laughs> right. and, and I think that to me, one of the interesting parts about e-mountain bikes is that we don't really still know what e-mountain bikes are going to be. They've changed so much in the last five years. You know, what we saw five years ago was was kind of ridiculous. <laughs> but, I mean, anybody that that has seen the, the reveal this week of the new Trek Fuel EXE, I think it is, yeah. man, that's pretty slick. You know, the, the motor is small, the battery is small, the weight is low. I think you can build that up, you know, probably in the, the mid to upper 30s. Mm-hmm. And I think that we just don't know where this technology is going and ultimately what that impact is going to be, both on the trails and the other users on the trails. Right. My biggest concern and, and one of the talking points that I've tried to get out there in the world, if you'll indulge me, <laughs> I'm not a big fan of the class one, two, three system that is, was developed for street and commuter bikes, uh, in applying that to e-mountain bikes. All e-mountain bikes are class one by and large. There's some hunting and sportsman stuff out there, but the ones that the major manufacturers are making are all class one already. Right. But the difference between a 35 Newton meter peak power bike and an 85 plus newton meter power bike Mm -hmm. is a very different experience i've been on both the way that those behave on the trail is very different 
Mm-hmm. I, I think the impacts are, are probably overblown other than you do cover more ground and therefore technically you're going to touch more, more inches of dirt in a, in an e-mountain bike ride. Right. Or right. you could, you don't necessarily have to, but I think the difference in the power of the bikes and some of the other technologies that, that are coming down the line, you know, automatic gearboxes are being launched <laughs> and, yeah. you know, suspension systems that, that adjust themselves and, and all these things that are going on on bikes. Yeah. I just don't know that we really have the language right now to work with our land managers and say, this bike is, you know, of this nature and provides this experience and, and potentially has these drawbacks. Whereas this one is, is a very different animal and, and is going to be used extremely differently yeah. at the higher end of the power scale than the others. Right. Um, so I, I, I'm not likely to, to see my dream here, but I'd love to see the, uh, <laughs> the bike industry get on board and do some work around giving us some, some of these differences between the different bikes that they're manufacturing. They're actually relevant. You know, uh, I don't, I don't see class two and class three e-bikes out on our trails. So everything's a class one. So now they're all just e-bikes. And is that necessarily the conversations that we need to be having? I think we've got some way to go with that still. No, you, you make a really good point And that all the bikes are, I mean, talking about class one, two, and three is confusing. And it's like you said, it's kind of worthless because most of them are, class one. Um, but yeah, I mean, it seems the real distinction is, are you, is this like a downhill bike that now has access to these trails that downhill bikes didn't used to bother going to because nobody wanted to haul them, pedal them, carry them, whatever they needed to do to get to the top. Now they can ride those up to the top and, and bomb back down them. And so, yeah, that is a different experience than if you're riding something, a trail bike, like the, the new Trek fuel where, you know, you're still riding it generally like a mountain bike and accessing the same trails that you were accessing before. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Good. But you can, you can help me push that then. (laughs) Right. So I'm curious to know what is the biggest constraint or major challenge that Comba faces in carrying out and achieving your mission on the front range? Well, you know, funding is almost always the biggest limiter. We're fortunate that we have a lot of, of projects out there that we could still be pursuing. You know, we've we've grown Comba over the last five years to the point now where we are directing roughly about a million dollars a year to trails efforts mm-hmm. from advocacy to planning, you know, design and construction. A big chunk of that now is maintenance. Going back to what I was saying earlier, we have to mm-hmm. we have to show our partners here that we're going to take good care of the toys we have before we ask mm-hmm. for more. So right. we've started a seasonal crew here last summer, and we're doing it again this summer. You know, so we've grown from just me to three full time staff oh, wow. and eight full time seasonals um, that are all just the the eight are all working on trail maintenance realignments, those kinds of things throughout the summer, and just trying to to do the best job of making the trails that exist um, as, as you know, least impact on the land as possible and, and enjoyable to ride as possible. So, you know, we always need more volunteers. We always need more sponsors and donors. We always need more members. You know, we were talking a minute ago about there being roughly 100,000 mountain bikers in the area and that we have 17, 1800 members right now. That's what, 2%? <laughs> yeah that's a lot of untapped resource out there that we could put to use you know we just came through membership drives in may and june uh those went extremely well last year we've seen a little bit of a, a downturn in that this year seems to be looks like it's linked just to the economy in fact people are putting more money in their gas tank than, than they were just six months ago yeah but we just need, we could, we can use more people to get involved. You know, we say all the time, and I know Sorba Woodstock said this and everybody else that I've talked to, you know, your money or your time, we can make good use of either. Yeah. We can have you working in planning and helping us fundraise. We can have you working in communications or actually out working on the trails. Or, you know, if you can become a member or you have the opportunity to, to make a donation directly to us. We can, we can put that stuff to use immediately. Mm, yeah. So, you know, other than that, the, the, 
the only other real impediment to, you know, seeing our vision and reaching our goals is, as I talked about before, Colorado is incredibly politically charged around its public lands. There are a lot of competing interests. There are a lot of well-funded voices out there that makes it challenging to kind of get to where we want to get with some of these projects. It's a, it's really just time consuming more than anything else. We do a lot more advocacy than we do trail building. We, we, we talk all the time about how trails projects are the tip of the iceberg. We've, we've probably put in 80% of the effort before you ever hear about a project or start to see, you know, any impact on the ground itself. Right. And that's, you know, that's harder stuff to fundraise around. You know, when we have a, a new trail like we do right now going on, or we've been fortunate enough, you know, the last couple of summers, we've had big trail announcements and that always gets us some additional support. Mm-hmm. But the hard part is selling our, our sponsors and our community on just supporting us in the day in and day out pursuit of these projects. It's, it's a lot of work. It's complicated. It's detailed. It's nuanced. It's frustrating. It's exhilarating, you know, but you know, that really is, is what it comes down to is we're the ones here in the Denver area that are working to help you get those experiences that you want. And, you know, we feel like a a $39 annual membership is, is pretty uh, low cost of entry there. We had a, we had a, a drive slogan a couple of years ago of, trying to get people on the monthly membership mm-hmm. uh, and it was, you know, buy us a burrito, you know, <laughs> right. if you would, if you'd spend five bucks a month, you know, just buy us a burrito once a month, we could do a lot with that. You know, you look at, we probably see upwards of a hundred thousand dollars in membership revenues every year with our less than 2%. Mm-hmm. Imagine what that looks like with 4% or 6%. You know, the math is pretty easy. And you start having a real impact on our budget and our capabilities and what we're able to accomplish. Yeah. Yeah. You make a good point. I mean, it is, it's pretty amazing what a low bar that is. And yet it's still tough for groups to, to clear that. I mean, 40 bucks a year. I mean, it's not even a tire, right? You can't get a tire for $39. Yeah. 40 bucks a year or like you said, money or your time. And so, yeah, I mean, who, who can say, oh, I don't have time to, to volunteer and to, you know, do a trail work day every now and then if you're riding your bike, I mean, you've got time to ride your bike. So yeah, maybe one of those rides instead, you know, you show up on a Saturday and, and bring a shovel. Um, and then, yeah, for those folks who are on the fence about like, oh, I don't know if I should support, I mean, it's a catch 22. If you're sitting on the side and you're saying, well, they're not doing the things that I want them to do, or I feel like they're not building enough new trails or whatever. It's like, well, you know, if we had support, we could do those things. Right. So yeah, again, that's by and large, it's true. Yeah. Well, what's next for Comba? What's, uh, what's on the agenda for, for this year and for the years to come? Well, the big excitement right now is a trail we call powder keg. This is our newest trail in the Maryland mountain system in Blackhawk. Uh, we have the rarest of opportunities here where we have, Pretty fair amount of control on this particular one. The city has allowed us to take over from concept to design. We fund, we raised the money for this. We went out and hired the builder that we were the most interested in working with on this particular kind of trail. Some, uh, a group called Jagged Axe Trail Designs that has uh, some experience and, and reputation for building steep and chunky trails like this. Um, so this one sits up there with our other two bike only trails in the Maryland mountain system, but it's advanced expert level trail. It's, it's, uh, I think somebody used the term properly scary. <laughs> it's steep. We did, we had a nice test and tune day last week and, there, and it's, it's steep, it's rocky, it's gnarly. It's all hand built. We're really using the topography that's available here in Colorado. Cool. You know, so much of trail building now is, is machine built trails that mm-hmm. kind of many times go in and just remove all the interesting part of the terrain and then try to build it back in by hand. And we really wanted a shot with this one at, you know, a lot of this trail is just rake and ride, literally. Oh, cool. We removed the duff and said, here you go, get from here to there. <laughs> some of it's armored, some of it is natural rock slab, but it's just, 
it's really our first opportunity and the result of two years of advocacy at going out and really building something that's unique and exciting and, and fits a niche that we just don't ever get to pursue anymore. Mm, cool. uh, well, not anymore, but ever. I mean, it's just, this thing just doesn't exist around here and, and you never know until you're done. You know, people always want to say, what's this trail like? What's it's rated? And I'll, you know, let us build it and, and give us a, a year of wear and tear on it. We'll tell you, we'll tell you what kind of trail we have at <laughs> right. the end of that process. Um, but yeah, we're super stoked. It, it's supposed to open here later this summer, uh, mid to late August. Hopefully we can uh, get the public out there and get them on this one. Right behind that, we have our new trail system in Idaho Springs that we got started on finally. That was five years of advocacy on that one. Um, I'm practically a, a member of the city staff there in Idaho Springs. And <laughs> Bojo's Pizza, right? Do you, you go to Bojo's? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think I've got more experience on this project than anybody in the city, except for the city administrator. We've gotten a new mayor, new city council, new city planner. You know, there's been a turnover while we've been involved. So <laughs> exciting to finally see that come into fruition. But that again is one of those that. You know, we're having to raise over a million dollars to create the system. We've gotten about halfway. And the only reason we're not building today up there is is funding. Oh, wow. So that one's that one's one that we continue to apply for grants. I've, I've been turned down for two in the last month here, but keeping my chin up on that one. But we have some other irons in the fire to try to figure out how to raise that money. But it, it's going to be a really really great addition. And and those three, Floyd Hill, Maryland Mountain, and Virginia Canyon and Idaho Springs are all within 15 minutes of each other. So we're also working with, you know, the, the OREC office, Outdoor Rec for the state, and, and trying to come up with a, a marketing plan and an overall master plan that links all three of those systems together to create a destination where people can actually come and enjoy the kind of mountain biking that I think most people would expect to be in the front range already that for whatever reason just hasn't been here yet. Yeah. Other than that, man, you know, we're just going to keep at it, keep our nose to the grindstone and, and we pick up, we pick up every call and answer every email and attend every meeting that has any chance of, of making the mountain bike experiences in the front range better. And, you know, that's, that's what we're just going to keep doing day in and day out. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I mean, obviously too, your, your group has such a huge impact on the riding and the mountain biking scene in Denver, you know, whether you're a member or not, you're affected by, uh, what Comba is doing and, and from the looks of it, yeah, you guys are doing great work. And, um, I, I know a number of people appreciate that for sure. Well, thanks again, Gary, for taking the time to chat. It's really great learning more about Comba and hearing what you guys are up to. Awesome. Uh, I really appreciate the opportunity. You know, one of the things that we have the hardest time is, is communicating out our mission and our efforts. And, uh, so it's really great to have this opportunity. Appreciate you. Well, you can learn more and find out how to get involved and support Comba at Comba.org. And we'll have that link for you in the show notes. That's all we've got this week. We'll talk to you again next week. Mm